Yes, guys, we're back. Unlocked football. Early morning, but we're here. You have to put in the work, right? Doesn't matter the time of day. We're here. Provide the value, provide the information for this next generation. Um, today's guest, man, where do I start? A pioneer um, who paved the way, in my opinion, for a lot of players to go abroad because I know personally when I was coming up and playing, not many people older than me were making these moves abroad and playing in different countries. There weren't many Canadians abroad, so um, lots of technique of this player, lots of flavor and flair as a player. Now as a coach and helping the next generation in his own respect, um, teaching him the value and what it takes to succeed at this next level and in different countries. So without further ado, uh, Kevin DeSerpa, thanks for coming on, man. Zach, thank you very, very much. It's my pleasure. Of course. So, yeah, we want to add some value. As you know, that's what you're doing already. Um, so we'll just start. I want to ask a little about your playing career before we get into kind of um, how we can assist the next generation. So you played, you told me off the mic, you must have named four or five different countries that you had played in. Uh, would you specify, would you uh, tell me what countries exactly? So yeah, you mentioned, uh, yeah, go ahead. I played in Scotland, in Portugal, in Spain, Norway, and Brazil. Wow, so, okay. Those are countries that are all across the world. What are the different types of playing styles, or what would you say in terms of like how you had to adjust to different playing styles across the world? Like, What does it take to go from somewhere like Norway, who probably plays a specific style, to a place like Portugal, who may play a different type of style of football? Well, it's a good question. Um, Norway and Scotland are a little bit tougher, mm -hmm. uh, as in the ball isn't played smoothly. It's a very tough, very in the air. Mm -hmm. um, you have to be very physical, you have to be very fit. Uh, technique and, and technical ability is usually second. Mm -hmm. um, Portugal, Brazil and Spain, as everyone knows, that's where all the technical masters come from and where the best players in the world are produced and, and, and play. Mm -hmm. um, so adapting to those things uh, were, were very difficult, but um, uh, you have to have an open mind to understand what type of uh, place you're going to. You have to also understand the coaching styles. So you have to be open and, and willing to learn and, and be able to uh, obtain the information and the the culture it makes a, it's a huge huge um, part of of making it is adapting to the culture and adapting to the coaches and adapting to the teammates and adapting to the weather mm -hmm. because it's not just getting on the team and playing it's about okay now you let's say had a bad practice in Norway because the football isn't like what you are playing and you go home and it's cold and you're not you're far away from your parents and all that type of stuff that all plays a part on adapting to if you can play in that country uh, I'm background Portuguese and Canadian, so I was able to adapt to all the countries, not easily, but let's say m more uh, easily than the regular person, because in Canada it's cold. The football isn't technical. It's very straightforward. Uh, back then, yeah. now it's much different. Um, Spain, I'm technical, I'm Portuguese, Latin, so that was easy, but not easy. Uh, Portugal, I loved it because for me, uh, I, I felt at home. I felt this is the place. Uh, the football-wise was very tactical and, and very technical. Uh, Brazil, uh, I would have to say, was a 
whole new experience and opened my eyes to absolutely everything in football. Mm. I say that because when I went, I had an expectation um, and I already had a national team. I already had Portugal. I already had Spain, um, sorry, Scotland under my belt. And when I went there, um, it was it was definitely a, the biggest learning experience of my soccer career because I saw players that were much better than me and I'd never experienced that before. Mm. I'm talking about I'm playing right midfield or right wing in the session and I'm going against a defender and I couldn't beat him at all, not once. Wow. And, I'm, I'm, and I'm the winger. Yeah. And the defender had more skill than me, hung, more hunger, faster, uh, smarter and, and more agile. And, and, I, and I thought at that moment, how am I going to play here? So it was a big culture shock. Big culture shock because it's their only thing. When I was there, it wasn't just the football that was so hard. It was living with uh, a different type of culture that didn't have what we have in Canada. Mm -hmm. We're, I would have to say, very privileged to, to live in this country after seeing some of my teammates in Brazil living in, in poverty and having kids and not having enough money to support them and then come the next day and, and work harder than I've never seen anybody work before. Yeah. So um, I, I had to look at that and say, how am I going to compete here against that guy? So back to the adapting to each country and each culture. It's not just going and showing up and, and saying, I'm here. It's more about, can I be here? Can you be here? Well, <clears throat> you have to fight every single day and then realize. So I was there for 11 and a half months yeah. and I never realized how much I was improving because of the struggle that I was having every single day ma uh, matched up against these great players and, and strong men, strong yeah. men that are 17, 18, living on their own, fighting on their own, trying to make it, not getting paid, getting uh, the, the worst end of everything yeah. because uh, I saw stuff that I can't even mention. It's just, it was ridiculous. Um, but the adapting to that type of lifestyle, it gave me a tough skin. Yeah. It made me appreciate what we have. Right after Brazil, after I, I, said, I said 11 and a half months, right after that, I went to Portugal. Okay. And that's when I realized how much I improved, how much I learned in Brazil. Because I went to Portugal and soccer was so easy. Mm. It was so easy. Everything was so easy. Everyone felt like, it felt like everyone was in slow motion. It was a slower type of play than you're used to in Brazil? Brazil was 100 miles an hour, it was so fast, everyone was so good. The coaches want you to push too fast, like so fast, just, yeah. just, just like craziness. And, and if you're not, you're out in one second. Because wow. there's, there's a 10 guys waiting to come and take the spot because football is their life. Yeah. And football is their food, football is their money. So if you're not there and you're not doing your job, it's out right away, next guy in, he's waiting. And I'm telling you that the next guy who's waiting, is unbelievable. These guys were unbelievable. And they're, and in the end, they're nobodies. Mm -hmm. They will not make it to Barcelona or Real Madrid because there's 100,000 kids in Brazil that want to make that nobody team. I, I, I did play on, on a team called EC Comercial in Mato Grosso, but in the end, I look back now and it was a nobody team. It's not Sao Paulo. It's not um, Bahia. It's not Corinthians. It's not Flamengo. Yeah. It's a nobody team. And I saw players there that I couldn't believe how good they were. Unreal. So... You talked about the culture change. Those players, which a lot of people don't realize, coming from poor countries like that or poor areas, they are hungry beyond belief, right? For them, it's more than just a desire to play. It's a necessity. They're trying to feed families. That's right. Trying to survive. And they're coming from areas where, like you said, you saw stuff that you don't speak about, but 
So that culture change is something that players have to kind of realize when going abroad, right? One of my teammates invited me to his um, to his house for dinner. We became friends and to his house. I'm like, yeah, of course, no problem. So he told me the address and I showed up. It was right beside the club. I showed up mm-hmm. and I'm looking. I'm like, where is his house? And it was just like, to be honest and to be very humble about it, shacks, okay? Yeah. And I'm looking and he walks out of this like door that I didn't even know was a door of a house. And I'm like, whoa this is your house? I said, yeah, come on in. And so like inviting and opening and warm. I walked in and dirt floor, okay? Like dirt floor all the way through the whole one box, like maybe the size of this this area. And the bedroom there, the fridge and kitchen over there and everything we would call poor, okay? Mm -hmm. And when I walked in, it's almost like it humbled me to my knees on how happy his wife, his kids, and he was to be in this situation and have me there. And it almost brought me to tears. Uh, Later on, I did tear because of how close we became and how I felt for him and what situation he was in seven months not getting paid by the club. It was just a whole situation. And I saw this situation. I said, oh my goodness, I have to give everything Mm -hmm. because I have a better life than this guy. But maybe I don't have a better life than this guy. Just based on how happy he was in the, on the inside. Wow. So you talk about like, um, you, well, when you do and you go through these situations, you grow a lot as a man. I'm sure when you came back to Canada or wherever your next journey was, you grew not just as a player, but as a man, you realized certain things, the Absolutely. importance of other things. Um, what would you suggest to players who have opportunities abroad in terms of preparing for situations like this? Obviously, what you experienced with that friend there is not something that you just like prepare for. But in terms of how it affected you, and now looking in hindsight, how would you try to help a, pro- a player prepare mentally? And then we'll go into physically as well for situations like that. So as you said, it, there's nothing, uh, there's nothing that you can do. There's not a course you can take that you that can prepare prepare you for life. Yeah. Because that's life. Uh, the soccer is secondary. Um, you have to have a good upbringing. You have to be humble. You have to have an open mind. Uh, you have to have a big heart. Um, and you have to be willing to sacrifice. Mm-hmm. You have to be willing to put yourself out there and. Be look embarrassed and look like a zero and and ready to fail because if not then you're not going to succeed because no matter how good you are how smart you are how mentally prepared you are you are going to fail at one point at one second and if you do fail how are you going to handle that and so my dad always taught me you know open your eyes mm-hmm. keep them open keep your mouth shut and ears open yeah and those three things are so simple but it led me to, to see things very simply, not to ask for much, but just go with the flow and adapt and accept. And if things don't work out, don't worry. Tomorrow's an, another day. I would, I would say that parents have a huge part in this. Yeah. Uh, I didn't have the support that was needed to be able to be very successful okay. where I was going. But also, there is no best preparation because some of the parents are overprotecting their kids and almost making them go backwards. So getting them so prepared 
that they're actually preparing them so good that they're actually failing more because they're so overprivileged or overprotected. Mm. Does that make sense? So they're kind of catering so much to this player. Um, let's say, for example, like driving them to training all the time, preparing their meals, like doing things that a parent, you know, wants to do. 100%. But then when you go off on your own, it's not like that. 100%. Like, yeah. oh, I got my son's bag ready. Well, you know, I coach and I, I, I train lots of kids. So when I see, uh, I, I talk to parents a lot. I, I, try and, I try and be so honest with them. Um, but some parents have their ways and mm -hmm. that's their kids. So they're going to do what they do. And I say, well, sometimes I say my opinion that, well, that's not going to be beneficial for him later. And some listen and some don't. Um, you know, oh, Johnny forgot his, uh, his water bottle. Well, why did you forget his water bottle? Oh, my mom forgot to put it in my bag. Well, it's not your mom's job. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's your job. Mom, why are you doing that for him? You should tell him that he should have his bag ready. I know that my dad and my mom never had to tell me, like, get your bag ready because I wanted it. I wanted it most. Yeah. My parents never forced me to play soccer. So getting back on topic about the mental part, we need a lot of guidance being Canadians to be able to survive outside if you don't have uh, a background or a culture that had some type of sacrifice. Yeah. My parents and my grandparents came from another country to this country, so I learned very fast not to take advantage of stuff and be grateful for this opportunity or what someone's doing for you. And so nowadays I see kids that come to practice and they have, they're, they're, they're like 11 years old and they have like $200 like cleats on. And I'm thinking, why do you have $200 cleats? Yeah. Oh, because Messi has them. Okay, so are they gonna make you a better soccer player? And there's never a yes or no answer. They're not sure, because they don't know, right? Yeah. So I, my, my, my question is, <clears throat> Back to the mental part. How is that helping him mentally to later on go over there? Is now he going to expect the club to give him $300, the best shoes all the time? Well, only if he's the best in Canada being scouted by Real Madrid and the Real Madrid scout said, yes, he's the best, but that doesn't happen. So that's not going to happen. And if that does happen, he goes there, then he gets shoes for free. Mm -hmm. A lot of people think that that's reality, but there's no kids in Canada playing for Real Madrid. No. There's no kids playing for Barcelona. Can players go and try out and do a camp? Of course. I've sent players already before. I had one uh, boy named Michael Thornton. Mm -hmm. uh, he had an agent and he got to train in Real Madrid. He got to train in Chelsea. He got to train in Man City. He got to train in Roma. And big clubs. Big, like the biggest clubs. Yeah. And in the end, it didn't work out. Mm. Back to what we were talking about of being overprotected and being over. Uh, not privileged, but because he worked very hard for it. I love this kid a lot. Yeah. Um, it was just too much uh, be safe and make sure. And he has to have this and he has to have that. And in the end, you know, it needs to come from the kid. Like you go back to Leo Messi and you go to back to uh, uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Like they were not, they had to sacrifice in, when they were young to get to where they are today. Yeah. You know, Messi left his house at 13 years old to go to Spain. Okay, well, like, how many kids are leaving Canada at 13 years old to go? Well, one. Uh, one that I know personally, Diago. Diago was with, uh, I'm not going to say the club, but he was with a, a club in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And he left the club uh, in Toronto and came directly to me. And because they found out that I can send players to Portugal and, and talent to go to Portugal. Yes. And he was with me for three years doing private training only, no games 
just training, just training, just training. mastering mastering the player, shooting left foot, right foot, uh, dribbling left foot, right foot, controlling, do, doing everything, mastering the player so that when he gets into a team uh, atmosphere, they're like, wow, this kid can do everything. Okay, yeah. perfect. So, so this was by design that he's just doing the technical and training part. This was on purpose. Designed by, on you, purpose. Yes. On purpose. Uh, a lot of parents wouldn't be okay with this because they believe games, mm -hmm. but that's a whole other topic. So I asked the parent, how many times did he shoot the ball in the game? And they say, maybe two. I say, okay, so if he comes to my training, mm -hmm. how many times is he shooting? They say, well, two or three hundred times. Yeah. I said, so in then what's your analysis? In, in, in what situation is he going to become a better player? Makes sense. So, so that later on he can now go into the team, later on into yeah. the team, and he has tremendous experience in shooting the ball, that at any moment he's around the net, yes, there will be a high level of success. So it's not forever. You're going to come for a period of time, which was three years he came to me. Yeah. I have my connections in Portugal. So we sent him to Benfica and we sent him to Sporting. He came in the top three in both. Okay. Wow. Never played a game in three years. And it was top three? Top three. So the recommendation, because he wasn't top one or two, mm -hmm. was... He needs to stay in Portugal for one year to learn the game better. Well, their game, probably. Their game better, is... and just the game period. Yeah. Because he enough. was learning the game here mm -hmm. from people in Toronto or Canada. Yeah. So when they saw him play individually, he was one of the top players there. But when it was time to go down the wing and cross, it's pretty simple. When you get down the wing, there's two or three options. And he's doing an option that wasn't recognized. Yeah, yeah. So they recognized that at Benfica and Sporting and said, he needs to be in Portugal for one year. We're going to put him on Belenenses, which is another first division team, but not as high top as Benfica and Sporting. And we're going to see how he does. If he develops the right way, we'll take a serious look at him and bring him back to the top clubs. So he went to Belenenses. And we knew this information because I'm in the middle of it. And I said, listen, they want you, so now you have got, you got to go to Belenenses and you got to rip it up, but you got to learn the game because yeah. you're doing things that are like a hockey player or you're doing things that are a Canadian soccer player, mm -hmm. and they don't want that. So he ended up playing 41 games and scored 46 goals. Wow. At the end of the season, he had Sporting, uh, Porto, and, and, um, and another club, uh, Braga, mm -hmm. on the table saying, we want you right now. So he picked Sporting and he signed a five-year uh, contract with Sporting Youth Academy. And he's there now? And he's there now. Oh, that's wicked. So let me ask you a bit because that's interesting. You know, the a lot of coaches or different people will have their opinion and say players need games, which I don't disagree at some Absolutely level. Absolutely, they do. Games. Absolutely, they do. But just off sheer numbers, you're saying this player, like if you just look at the numbers, if you're training every day, taking 100, 200 shots a session versus playing... What I don't know how many how often you play matches. Once a week, a, let's say. Once a week, and you're taking two, three, four, and that's, you know, being generous. Yep. If you're taking four shots a match, I think at that age. If you're an attacker, if you're a midfielder, you're taking one. Exactly. If you're a defender, you're taking no shots. So you're not getting that repetition that's needed to get better. Um, so. And that would be called true development. Right. Because what 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 is development? What is soccer development? It's training. Training for what? 
training to make your shooting better, to make your control better, to make yeah. your dribbling better, to make your receiving better, to make your tackles better, to make your headers better. Yeah. This is developing the player. That has nothing to do with tactical. That's another That's part. That's a different of it, element. To the right? Game. Yeah. So tactical is for the team. So in Canada, where are you going to get technical mm -hmm. and tactical in the same atmosphere? We can't. Can't. Yeah. Because no one's doing it. Yeah. Also, too, the tactical part, sometimes you can't succeed with that in that without the technical ability. How are you meant to turn in the pocket and play, you know, a pass to your striker if you can't turn one touch, you can't turn on the half turn and do those technical things? My biggest concern is when parents or coaches say, you should have done that. What do you mean he should have done that? Mm -hmm. Where did he learn it? Well, he, he, he hasn't learned it yet. So how is your expectation that he expecting should. him to do it? How, how, what do you mean he should? He should have done that diving header. When did he ever train a diving header? Does he know how to do a diving header? No, it's because you saw it on TV. You saw Ronaldo do a diving header. You expect you, you think that your kid or your player is going to do it? Mm -hmm. That takes training. But they don't yeah. see that too. Even Ronaldo, they'll never whoever. see it. Yeah, no one sees the work that's put in behind the scenes. That's why my experience in Brazil, in Portugal, and in Spain. Yeah. Professional, you play one game a week. You train Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Maybe Saturday a light one because Sunday there's a game. Yeah. Okay. So you put in two hours, two hours, two hours, two hours, two hours, and some clubs two times per day. So you're putting in four hours that day. Okay, why? Because the game is 90 minutes and you need to be perfect in the game. There's no time for messing around in no. the game because in a higher level, you mess around in the game, you get punished. It's and in I'm, moments like that, right? That make or break the game. And if you don't train for the game and you play games for the game, <laughs> How are you going to learn the specifics, as you said, mm -hmm. receiving the ball in the pocket or opening up on the wing or the ball's in the air? What do you do? Let it bounce? No, the rule is don't let the ball bounce. Mm -hmm. So if the ball's not, you, if you're not letting the ball bounce, what is your objective when that situation happens? Is to control the ball. Yeah. If you're not training to control the ball, your touch is going to be probably not that good. Mm-hmm. So we, Jenga and many others, practice a lot of controlling and touching the ball. The feedback from Diago in, in Benfica and Sporting was controlling the ball, one-on-one, -on -one, dribbles, he was unbelievable. Rainbows over the best Benfica center back's mm -hmm. head, one-on-one, -on -one, elasticos, doing all this stuff. He didn't learn that in the game. Right. He learned that in training, to use in the game. Mm -hmm. I don't know. For me, it seems so simple. No, it makes sense because, yeah, you're not. Unless, I mean, no, there's no one. I say if you're playing matches and really analyzing them afterwards, you can improve in some areas. Like, you need matches, but of you're course. right. To perfect a technical development, like you say, development, that requires training that you don't get in a match, right? In the repetition. So let me speak about your upbringing a bit. Um, for me personally, so I went on to play at USL and I'm really proud of like where I made it in my career. You should be. And I grew up playing um, some organized football, but then also a lot of pickup. There's times where I saw you at Laurier, you know, playing pickup and I played at Red, just with my friends, Correct. groups of players after school. Like I spent a lot of time on the football pitch voluntarily out of training. 
And I think that was huge in my development because I got the organized aspect where it was a bit of tactical, depending on the coaches you have, a bit of tactical organization. But then I had the free-flowing enjoyment of being able to play with friends, compete still, but enjoy, try things. And that really helped me. So um, what was your kind of upbringing like in terms of playing? Were you on the pitch all the time? And you should be proud of where you reached and what you've done. I appreciate it. Yeah, you should be. Um, so I played hockey in the winter until I was about 11. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. And then they built Bud Park. Okay. And my dad said, you're not playing hockey anymore. You're playing indoor soccer. Mm-hmm. So from 11 on, it was soccer all the time. I was naturally good at sports. I loved it. I loved running. I loved being physical. I loved being the best, the winner. Yeah. You know? I love playing basketball, I love trying baseball, I love trying everything, but soccer was different. So from 11 on, I was touching the ball as much as possible. I'm talking about we had soccer balls in the basement, we had tennis balls, I was just always with my feet doing things. My dad never forced me on training, my parents never forced us at all. I ne- my dad never played soccer. Uh, there was no um, uh, influences in that, in that manner, um, but as I started to get older and better, uh, playing rep soccer, uh, I started to see that I was, and people started to see I was one of the better ones in my teams, and I did a lot of playing soccer in the basement with my brothers. Okay. A lot. Yeah. Winters was indoor soccer, and then any extra time was in the backyard, or because we lived beside Bud Park, it was always at Bud Park. Any time that there was a free time at Bud Park, I'd be in there asking, can I go on the field? You know, even behind the Bud Park where there was like the storage, we were back there trying to do things. And then they built the sports link there and we were always, we were always, like soccer was always, always around. Yeah. I would try and go to the tennis court outside at Bud Park. I would go, I played for obviously for uh, rep soccer. So um, you make some friends and then you say, hey, do you want to go play at the field over there and let's go play? So it was, I was always playing. Yeah. Training, never. Mm. Training was training. like what you said, go to Laurier and play with your friends and mm-hmm. compete. And I, I, I hung around a lot of soccer people, so we were always playing soccer all the time. At late nights, uh, early mornings, uh, tournaments, money tournaments in Toronto, yeah. just anything that I could do. And then when I hit 15 years old, that's when I was being recognized as already very good. Uh, mm-hmm. What do I mean by very good is at that level, I was invited to go to the provincial team, and I'm from Kitchener, and that wasn't happening back in the day. Mm-hmm. And then after the provincial team, I got uh, asked to go play for Dixie, and that's in Mississauga, Toronto, GTA. So that's already different than Kitchener. So I'm now competing with a different culture and a different hunger of people in Toronto. And then I got uh, invited to go to the under-17 national team, and then that's when things got very serious. Yeah, because then. Obviously, I'm understanding where I am. I'm 16 years old. I'm understanding that now I can, I'm being looked at to be one of the best 16, 17-year-olds in Canada. And fortunately, I made the team. And fortunately, I got to play in CONCACAF under 17. And I got to score against Mexico. I got to score against Netherlands and Tillys. And I got to score against Trinidad and Tobago. So at 17 years old, I already had international experience yeah. out of the blue. Okay, it just happened so fast and uh, international goals at 17. My friends are still like 
playing for fun and I'm now playing for Canada. And mm -hmm. so there was a big separation at that point where I couldn't do that anymore because now I'm serious. Yeah. So right after that, I got a chance to go to Scotland, uh, to Portugal, sorry. And um, it was with uh, U16 Benfica Juniors and a man named Armando was the one who helped me. And he brought me there and I stayed there for seven months. And um, it was the first experience and the biz biggest experience because I was living in the Benfica Stadium in the Juniors dormitory, the old stadium. Yeah. And when we opened our window, we looked out and there's the first team training every single day. Oh, it was unbelievable. So I'm watching Nuno Gomes and I'm watching Rui Costa and I'm watching Rui Costa is now the president of Benfica. I'm watching him play. I'm 16 years old, so that's a very, very long time ago. Yeah. And so right there, that moment, it was the biggest um, eye-opener to what I could be. Not mm -hmm. what I was, because I was only 16 and I'm still trying to be and trying to make it. Did I have talent? Well, I'm not there because my dad paid. My dad hadn't, wasn't, we, our parents didn't have extra funds. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't because of that. I went there because someone saw me and they saw talent. And now I'm seeing the potential of my life and saying, I want to do that for the rest of my life. I want to be a professional soccer player. Right. So at 15, 16, my life was, my mind was, there's no other thoughts. It changed. Even school, there was uh, little thought towards school and a lot of thought towards my athleticism and becoming what I wanted to become. Mm -hmm. I wish players um, coming up these days, uh, I, don't, I don't wanna say these days, but I wish this generation of players were able to kind of experience some of these top players that had played before them and what it took because at that time the infrastructure was much much different right you guys didn't have the tfc academies or even all of the academies that are that's right built today in toronto and other areas so to get picked from especially a small community i would say from like kitchener area is difficult um probably not a lot of exposure from this area at that time so you've always been a player with a lot of confidence flair um, passion so was this something that was from the beginning you had because I personally I've only had a few experiences on the pitch with you and it's just been pickups like we said you know out there playing with friends and that's something that's recognizable you can, doesn't matter if it's pickup game in your backyard or you're playing in Portugal and Brazil right you still have that same flair and passion so is this something you always had or is it developed you think along the way it's a good question because I also ask myself where did it all come from mm. So I have to go back in time and try and think of where it all stemmed from. Uh, my dad was very competitive and a perfectionist and wanted everything to be perfect all the time. So <clears throat> there was a standard of what we wanted to become uh, and what our outcome was. And we wanted to become perfect. We wanted to become good at something. Yeah. We wanted to win. We wanted to be winners and never giving up until you get it. Uh, 1994 World Cup in USA I was it was the first World Cup that I actually got to sit down and watch I was 14 years old mm -hmm. so that was before the provincial that was right before and I watched Brazil win the World Cup and when I was watching Romario and Pepeto and I was watching Rai and watching these guys I'm like wow look at that and I played soccer already but then yeah. I it was the first time I saw flair so first time I saw passion first time I saw dribbling that was 
looked so easy going by him with just a few moves. And I said, whoa, I want to be like that. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, I turned to my dad and I said, I want to do this. And he goes, it's not easy. I said, I don't care. Mm -hmm. I want I want to do this. I was a stubborn kid. No one could really beat me. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't like that. And if I did get beat, sometimes I would cheat to beat you because yeah. I wanted to win so bad. I was young. <laughs> Later on, that led to being disciplined and being proper and beat them fairly and beat them with hard work. Yeah. But the, the passion, it came from watching Brazil in 1994. It came from my dad pushing us. My mom also, uh, my family pushed us because we weren't privileged. We didn't have much, mm -hmm. so we had to work for what we had. Um, the flair, <clears throat> one of my biggest idols is Michael Jordan. Really? Yeah, I, mm -hmm. I love basketball. Uh, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson. Yes. Um, Tim Hardaway, you know, before Kobe, you know, Kobe yeah. great and stuff like that. But when I look at Kobe and Michael, I'm only looking at Michael. There's no other. There's, yeah. there's nobody else. Um, uh, Joe Montana in football. Um, Andre Agassi, Pete Sampras in tennis. Uh, you name any sport. I only look Wayne Gretzky in hockey, Mario Lemieux in hockey. I only looked at and followed the best athletes in sports. Ben Johnson, Donovan Bailey. Mm -hmm. I only paid attention to the best. Of course, you, re you re realize the second place, third place, fourth place, but I only had eyes for the best. Yeah. Anytime I could watch the Chicago Bulls play and watch Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, that was it. Like, I was glued, okay? Yeah. Because back then, there wasn't soccer on TV. No. There wasn't soccer on TV. I'd have to wait for Saturday and watch Man United. So, who was playing on Man United back then? Mm, not many superstars, but mm -hmm. that was the team that was playing. And so, the passion comes from many areas but uh, comes from home a lot, and then watching the best, uh, the best athletes and, and just trying to emulate them. I don't know exactly where it all came from, but that's where I believe it stemmed from a little bit. Yeah, and if you're watching players like that, Michael Jordan, Andre Agassi, things like that, you're gonna, like they all have passion. Like that's a prerequisite, I think, to make it at that level. And almost to a point where it's uncontrollable. You see when they score a basket, they score a point every little detail is important to them so that's right it makes sense to kind of how it affected you if you're watching those players so i want you to tell me a bit about jenga this is your academy they call it academy or it's my soccer company i guess you could say okay soccer company that you're doing now um what is kind of what does jenga mean first of all i don't think a lot of people maybe they do maybe they don't but in your opinion what is what is jenga uh the word jenga comes from uh Portuguese uh, vocabulary mm -hmm. and it's a word that means movement sway uh, trickery um, uh, sneakiness mm -hmm. uh, movement and sway and body movement mostly because the word comes from uh, the street and kids dancing on the street people dancing on the street Ronaldo the Brazilian Ronaldo their movement that's mm -hmm. Jenga so when you do some Michael Jordan had Jenga Magic Johnson had Jenga uh, their movement, the sway, the beats, the one-on-one, -on -one, the dancing, the rhythm, that's all Jenga. Yeah. So is that kind of movement, the sway, the savviness, is that um, used in your approach when you're coaching kids and your philosophy? 100%. How would you describe the philosophy then? So it's free-flowing, you want kids to enjoy but also feel free? Or in your words, how would you say Jenga kind of personifies how they teach football? And coach football. So each person has their own style of Jenga. 
Jenga right. isn't one thing. Right. You have Jenga, he has Jenga, I have Jenga. We all have Jenga inside of us. It's about how you express it. So how are we expressing that in football is the way I teach. First of all, it's mainly technical. And so when we're doing the drills, the drills are emulating Jenga movements. Okay. Dribbling through the cones, how you're dribbling them, yeah. when you receive the ball, are you standing still, are you on your toes, are you bouncing, or do you have that? So there's no specific way I'm teaching Jenga. It's just the style of the way we play and, and move our body when we're doing the training. Okay. There's no specific Jenga. Right. It's everyone has their own. It could be I have one, two, three, and you have a different type of one, two, three, but it's still Jenga. Yeah. As long as it's movement, as long as it's rhythm, as long as it's swaying, it's all, it's all Jenga. A good player, Neymar, Robinho, Ronaldo, mm -hmm. those type of players, all are called Jenga players. They personify that, right? And it's like a free, they, they're free when they're playing and Absolutely. they're enjoying it. Absolutely. Um, is it, there a type of player, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead. Is there a type of player that you um, look for or a certain trait in a player that excites you when you see something in a player? Is there something that like, is like, ah, I, you know, kind of reminds course. me of me or I just, I like that. Of course. What is uh, that? Any player that reminds me of the Brazilian Ronaldo, uh, Robinho, uh, Messi, um, Mbappe, Neymar, mm -hmm. uh, these type of players that have a lot of movement, a lot of trickery, uh, want to beat one-on-one, -on -one, never giving up, have that, that fight, that hunger, that bite the tongue, that type of thing. Uh, it, it excites me uh, because I think football nowadays is lacking that type of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, very robotic. Everyone is very robotic. I'm excited to watch Brazil today because it's probably the best team that they've had in a very long time, mm -hmm. uh, all around. Uh, Vinicius Jr., he is the epitome Clear. right now of, of Jenga. Yeah. When you watch him, it's always something. Yeah. And that's the other thing. You know, I watched a video of Zidane being interviewed, and they asked him, um, I think it was CNN many years ago, who, who is the best player you've ever played with? And he goes, without a doubt, Ronaldo. And Easy they said, Ronaldo, why Ronaldo? Why Ronaldo? Even I don't know yet, but every time in training, he's always doing and showing something new. Something new. Mm. Why something new? His mind is creative. Yeah. His mind is free. What can I do next? How do I beat that guy in a different way? Mm -hmm. What type of movement should I use now? And if it's coming from Zidane, one of the best players and one of the best coaches of all time, talking about Ronaldo, well, nowadays you just go on YouTube and, or Instagram or whatever, and you see videos and everyone's talking about R9, the Ronaldo, the Ronaldo, what he used to be, what he used to be. And he's the epitome of Jenga. Because yeah. there was nobody better. Ibrahimovic says he was the best. Um, Messi says he was the best. Uh, these are the best players in the world saying that he was the best. Unfortunately, he had major. He was my idol, by the way. Oh, okay, he's your idol. There was nobody else. Yeah. I only wanted to be like him, watch him, copy him, and that's another part of the passion and part of how <coughs> I became and why my com company is called Jenga mm -hmm. is because. It stems from Brazil, it stems from those players, it stems from Ronaldo, and not just Kevin. I would have called it Kevin De Serpa Academy or Kevin De Serpa Soccer, but right. I didn't want to. I, want, I didn't want it to be about me. Yes. I wanted it to be about the football. 
the football that I love, the football that I want to teach. Yeah. If people want to say that I'm similar to that type of style, perfect. You know, thank you very much. But I'm not doing it because of me. I'm, I'm wanting to help kids and wanting to do this whole thing to create players on the next level. And slowly, slowly, I'm doing that. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult in this country uh, because of the culture. But uh, as we saw yesterday, Canada has a lot of talent. Yes. There's a lot of great players uh, playing on the national team right now that surprised one of the best teams in the world. In the Belgium's in the top five. Yes. Canada, oh, they have no business doing what they did yesterday. But no. they did. Mm -hmm. And they did it with purpose. And they look like that it, it was pretty scary. They were, they were beating Belgium, one of the best in the world. Yeah. They just couldn't finalize, which is always lacking in Canada. So I'm Jenga Soccer, Kevin Serpa, trying to create players. I'm not, I'm not creating goalkeepers, obviously. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to create, I'll say, superstars. Yeah. Diago right now is the next superstar. He's playing with number nine on his back for Sporting. He's from London, Ontario. He has no business. That's huge. So he's a striker. He maybe will play for Portugal, <laughs> but mm -hmm. I, after watching Canada yesterday, a player like Diago playing up front will be the key. Mm -hmm. yeah, I always say, man, like for me, and we probably have a lot of athletes from different uh, sports, but soccer, football for me is the best sport in the world, man. You talk about Jenga and the many different forms in which it comes in. You name players that are like Zidane, Neymar. Let's take Zidane and Neymar. Totally different styles in how they carry yes. themselves and maneuver their bodies, but unbelievable footballers each in their respect. And I don't think there's many sports where you could get such a range of type of players, even stature of players, height, Correct. weight, that can perform and, you know, be effective in, in their different ways. So best sport in the world for me. I love talking about it. And that's the benefit of what I can provide is that my experience and my vision and what I've seen in five countries, mm -hmm. I know that there are so many uh, ways to create players and so many good players that can become amazing, but they don't have to be like Neymar. They can be like Gavi for Barcelona. Yes. He can be the best in the world. Iniesta, if anyone would look at Iniesta, they'd be like, this guy looks like a skinny old man. Yeah. But put him on the field and he's a magician in a different way yeah like Zidane he had his strengths Iniesta his strengths Xavi his strengths and I'm talking about European players and then you got the Messi's and you got the Agueros and you got the Kevin De Bruyne's and you got so many top players that all have so many different attributes yes. and so for me living and playing in five countries I try to take because there are some great things from Scotland there are some great things from Norway there are some great things from Portugal Spain Brazil that I take and I try and give as much as I can. It's not just one way. I don't like, okay, um, we're gonna only do the Manchester United way. We're gonna only do the Glasgow Rangers way. Mm. Or we're gonna do the, only the Santos way. Or we're gonna do the Benfica way. No, no, I'm, I've played in five different countries, a lot or a little, and I take. Every day I'm talking to my friends from all these countries and always learning, always taking so that I can create the best Jenga soccer for the future and the players that are coming through. And that's the way, man. That's the way to provide for the next generation because the experience that you've had and other players who've gone abroad and tried to bring back to then push out to the next generation, that's how they learn. If not, they don't get that experience 
or that knowledge or that kind of insight. They won't. They won't, right? They won't. And no offense to you know other academies and coaches. Everyone's doing a great job, you yes. know. But I'm also out there listening to the parents that go to those other places, and they say to me, Kevin, it's impossible. Like they can't give this because this guy, with no offense, only played at the university of such and such. Mm-hmm. And his experience is only for this level. It's and limited. How, how does he, how does he, how do we get that? Where do we go to get that? And I say, well, you have to come to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's confidence. Of course. Confidence in what you do. Of course. Because right? I've, I've already produced players. Mm-hmm. I have players 22, 23 playing pro. I have kids 13 going pro. I have yeah. three boys right now in Portugal that I sent two days ago on my partnership with my, my partners, Lusitania, in Portugal. I have a protocol to send them two or three players every month. Last month I sent three. This, two days ago this month I sent three. Next month I have to send. The next month I have to send. And I'm finding players from my academy or from other uh, places to send them. And how else are they going to get experience if they don't go for, to Portugal for two or three months and learn? Or don't mm-hmm. go to Spain and go to that tournament and play against Barcelona in the tournament, play against Sevilla in the tournament. I took, in 2010, uh, a group of boys. Uh, they were 12 years old. And our first game in the tournament in Spain, in Barcelona, was against Sevilla. Massive club. And I'm looking over, I'm like, looking at the coach, looking at my players, I'm like, guys, you're playing against Sevilla. Do you understand or no? Mm-hmm. How did they do? We lost 2-0, uh, 0-0 halftime, yeah. uh, because obviously I have some experience, so it's, you know, it's Sevilla players, but they are 12-year-old boys. Yeah. So mm-hmm. my boys, I give them certain information, and then they do well. The hard part is the kids that are 12 years old in Sevilla and the kids that are with Jenga, Jenga kids, Canadian kids, are limited. Those Sevilla kids are training in Sevilla every single day. Every day. So their tactics against top players with top coaches. The coach that I was coaching against was a former Barcelona player. Wow. So what he can give, what I can give, isn't more or better than me. It's different. Different. But in a more and better way. Correct. He played for Barcelona. I didn't. Mm -hmm. So he has a lot of information that he can share. Plus, even with my experience... I can only give so much to the kids because they can only obtain and take so much. Yeah. Those kids can take way more information than, so at the end of the game, two nothing, but he came over and goes, you guys are very, very good. Your kids battle, your kids did very good. You should have scored two goals in the first half. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my players missed two times breakaway. Mm-hmm. But the goalie was amazing. Their goalie was amazing. Yeah. And so uh, the next game was against a smaller Spanish team. We pounded them. Five one, mm-hmm. and then in the quarterfinals, we got to the quarterfinals. We made it out of our group, got quarterfinals, and we played a, a team mixed of Espanol and Barcelona players. It was like a, a select team. Uh-huh. So how was that? that uh, we lost twelve nothing. They were probably just. It was unbelievable. Um, yeah. It when was, you say, go ahead. When you say stuff about like the uh, the Sevilla coach for that age was a former Barcelona player, and that's just Sevilla, big club. But imagine what these other clubs are having in terms of former players coming back to coach young players and coach the academy. It's almost a, a duty in, Can- in Canadian soccer for guys who do go abroad to come back and give back in some way. Like if not, 
you know, how are we meant to grow the game here? If you if we do go abroad, we learn stuff, you know, we're getting this experience. I think it's a, a responsibility if you do care about if you do care about the sport, you know, that is that you have to come back and give back in some sort and way. You are you are 100 percent right. Right. And it doesn't have to be coaching. Some people give back in other ways, but we have to keep building it. And so on, on that, um, we saw obviously Canada in the World Cup. We spoke about it against Belgium. Put up a, a good fight, an amazing match. Should um, have won. Should have won. Miss, yeah, missed penalty, missed a lot of chances. Should have won. That's going off topic a bit, but that's what the difference with good teams, though, right? Because Belgium, top Correct. team, played not great. Two chances, one goal. Come out with the, with the win, right? So that's, the, I guess, what Canada can adopt from, from these top teams. But with the World Cup now, the World Cup 2026... It seems like Canadian soccer is on the up. Seems like a lot of progress has been made. Um, just what are your thoughts on the future? And has it all been good? Um, I know a lot has changed um, over the last, let's say, 10, 15 years. But from where we are now and where we can be in 2026 when the World Cup is here, what do you kind of see and what, do you, like, what are your thoughts on the development of the whole footballing community? Well, it's a good question. When you say 10 years ago, things have changed. So 10 years ago, on the first team of the Canadian national team, how many players were playing in Europe? Maybe, what? A few. Two? A few, right? Five? Yeah. And yesterday, how many players play in Europe? Most of our starting lineup, right? So majority. we have done a great job on developing players to be able to stay and play in Europe and compete in Europe. Obviously, like anything, it took time. Um, in the next four years I believe that there's going to be tremendous and I I say that with lots of power tremendous change in Canada for soccer I think there will be an abundance of infrastructure I think there will be an abundance of um, development in coaching I think that there will be as there is right now uh clubs and academies opening up even more left and right and and everything yes i'm in the middle of a project where i will be um i I can say it uh, we're in the middle of obtaining uh, an indoor facility for jenga soccer so i'm probably not going to be the only one i'm sure there Mm -hmm. will be many organizations doing this there are right now Mm -hmm. and um, this will be a big help because we do have six months of winter Yes. And these kids do need to go inside in bigger facilities to continue the 11 v 11 and bigger, not so much smaller. Smaller, perfect for individual yes. uh, training sessions, but we need bigger facilities so that we can continue the rhythm of indoor and outdoor on the same level. But I think that Canada is definitely uh, in, in a, on a pathway that we are going towards what South America has done, what Europe has done, what Asia has done on creating soccer as a number one sport in the country. Yes. We are developing players that play for FC Porto. We, are, we have one of our best players playing for Bayern Munich. Jeez. We have players playing, f- uh, Joe David, leading goal scorer of France. Yeah. And he's competing against Neymar and Mbappe. And he's in the top one or two every year. Mm-hmm. That brings tremendous confidence to these guys and these players and whoever's following them but uh, they all have a following of kids and coaching and academies you know Davies has his following Um, and I believe that 
that's only going to grow and uh, the CSL uh, growing and, and having more franchises opening, uh, more fields opening. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you need finances and money for yeah. this. And that's exactly what's happening. The MLS is, is great uh, for, for a certain level. Um, but uh, as you see on the national team, there are only a couple players on the squad that have uh, that, that play in the MLS yeah. um, because if we were to put out a team that are just MLS players I don't think we would have the same results I agree it's just it's, it's there's no uh, there's no offense to it it's mm-hmm. just that's just the reality of it yes. you know if you replace Davies with a left back who plays for an MLS team you're doing uh, you're doing harm to the team yeah. if you take out David who's leading goal scorer in France and put in a striker from TFC with no offense, I think that the, the result would be totally different. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of what they're doing in Europe, there's a different experience. Uh, Davies is playing in front of 60,000 people every, 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 every game, week, yeah. playing against top, top, top level teams. And in, in, in how can, uh, with no offense, MLS team, how can they compete? There are great players in the MLS, of course, mm-hmm. great players, but you just can't compare to Europe. It's just that thing, you know? Andre Pirlo comes here, Ibrahimovic comes here, Wayne Rooney comes here, Schweinsteiger, Giovinco, yes. many great top big names, and they all say the same thing. It's not me saying it. No. It's the names that this guy played for Juventus. He comes here and says, this is a joke. And look at the age that they do come as well. They come in their late at, 30s, at the, end. at the end of their career, and still <laughs> they do bits. Like, yeah. you, look what they're doing still at that age. Absolutely. So that speaks to the level. But back to the point of Canada uh, in the next years, I think we're going to do very well. I think that this is only the beginning because it can't go backwards from, from, from this. It's, no. I think it's only going to go and grow and grow and grow because um, we're watching. Mm-hmm. Kids, are, I, I didn't get to watch Canada do this. Right. When I was young, I didn't watch Canada. I missed. I, I got. I got to see a few World Cups. Canada never there. Mm-hmm. So it was always that, always that. Oh, you know, always that negativity and always that. Oh, you know. And now kids are like, what? Yeah. Dad, we need to. I, I'm gonna play for. You know, there's so much energy Wearing towards Davies it. Wearing jerseys, David jerseys, like. It's crazy, right? Their I only wish that I could be on the men's national team when I was when I was there, yeah. that I could look in the stands and see everyone wearing number 10 to Serpa. Yeah. Of course we all wanted that. I'm sure you wanted it one day, we all wanted it, but it just wasn't uh, our time, and mm-hmm. the time is now, and we gotta take advantage of it. That's it. Lastly, man, you just you mentioned a bit about your facility um, up and coming. Is there anything more you can tell us about that? I know it's still fairly new. Is there anything you can share about that, or it's still early? It's uh, still early. We're in the, we're in the process of inside a couple of them and we're seeing what what is the right situation for us yes um but i can guarantee 100 percent that it will happen um maybe in two days maybe in two months yeah. maybe in a year i hope not a year i'm hoping in a month or so yeah uh, we're, we're very close we're we're, we're finalizing things um and that'll be a huge um benefit to not just to me where I get to work, but to kids that want a higher level of training. And not only that, I can uh, uh, bring my friends from Europe 
in Brazil to help me uh, cr help create coaching style, coaching ways yes. and also my connections with clubs they can come and watch uh, and pick kids that are talented and uh, give them opportunities to be the next Davies to be the next because um, people kind of maybe get a little bit confused on, on what I'm doing this is not about me at all right it's not about me it's it's more about I want to give kids a better opportunity than I had because I didn't have an agent I didn't have parents that could support me or pay for extra training or pay for private training or, or pay to be in an academy yes. I want to create the atmosphere and the location where kids can come and say this is the soccer hub I want to be at every single day yeah and within that hub is other players of similar qualities similar mindset and absolutely you know that jenga that we speak of being able to enjoy it will be a facility that has an indoor turf space uh, it will have a full gym we will be having nutritionists in there um, there will big. be a psychologist in there i'm Huge. basically creating a professional atmosphere without having a professional club right that's huge for big players to be able to get that experience in their journey to go abroad at some point 100%. And, and that's the end. We were talking about that in the initial conversation about mentality and physically yes. and all that type of stuff. This facility is creating that space for um, preparing for mental and physical and spiritual for ready to, to go. Maybe they won't make it, but I'm creating the place that they can get the best experience and best preparation to then go to the next level. And the thing is, too, with the experience, even if it doesn't work out, you come back in a better place. Your mindset is enlightened. You learn a bit about yourself and about the process. So either way, it's, it's a positive. I don't, I don't look at myself and say, I made it. I look yeah. back at my career, I don't believe that I made it. Mm -hmm. I had great experiences. I did what I did. I played one game. I played 10 games. I, I don't believe I made it. Other people can say other things about me. That's and I'm I'm, I'm blessed to hear those things. Yes. But my own personal opinion, I didn't make it. Mm. Making it for me would have been a long career at Juventus, or Benfica, or another top team. I. A lot of people say that, and I'm talking about a lot of people. Uh, my friends in Brazil and my friends in Portugal. They say, Kevin. Making it to the top in football wasn't your, wasn't your, your thing. Like your path. It was for you to go and experience and learn and take back and bring back to the next generations. Yeah. And it took me a while to 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 understand that because uh, playing in Norway in the second division isn't making it. It's on the journey to. It's on the journy to. What did I want? Everyone wants to. The making it is the top level is the top mm -hmm. level, you're at the top level, first division, first division, first division. Yeah. In 2004, I was lucky enough to play for a team called Penafiel in Portugal, and we were the champions of second division. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, I was considered Superliga player, first division. And at that moment, I thought, I made it. Yeah. That was the only time that in my career I said, I believe I've made it now. So that was a double-edged sword because I went back to Canada because season's over, you go on vacation. Yes. I, I got invited to the men's national team for the first time, two games. And three weeks later, I looked on the Penafiel website and I see my name on loan to a third division team. You didn't know about this until you saw it? 
So I looked and I'm like, what do you mean third division team on loan? What was going through your head? What was going through my mind was a lot of confusion. Mm -hmm. uh, I was the second youngest player on the team and the, the player with the longest contract, five years. So not having the guidance, not having the agent, I wasn't explained properly what, was what this on? meant. Yeah. So I was upset, uh, to say the least. And because I was thinking, it's my chance. I'm going to play against Benfica. I'm going to play against Porto. I'm going to play against Sporting. I'm going to play in the big stadiums. Yeah. Finally, it's happened at 24. And so it didn't get to happen. Uh, and uh, I took six months on loan at Mirandela, a third division team. Uh, I hated every second of it. You did, right? Because I didn't have the guidance to understand and take that in stride. Mm -hmm. And so after the six months, I went back to Penafiel and uh, um, yeah, this is a tough situation to talk about, but mm -hmm. they, uh, they told me that my contract was being ripped up and that I breached contract. So that's a whole other story. They said that I did this and I did that, which was all lies. Mm -hmm. um, and so at that moment, uh, having four more years contract, my contract was ripped in front of my face and uh, I was a free player with nothing. At 24? At 24. That's still quite young. I know, man, 24, but still a young age to comprehend all of that, right? From being here where you were on your journey, thinking you made it and then being that. In six months, there was a tornado that happened that I had no idea what happened. I had no idea uh, how, how it all happened. I got home uh, two days later. I had a phone call from one of my friends in Norway. The next day, I'm in Norway. With the club there? With the club there. I signed a, a one-year contract in three days. <laughs> wow. So it, football, you don't know exactly what's going to happen. No. There's no guarantees. Yeah. You just have to keep fighting and keep trying and keep pushing to what you want. And... I signed with uh, FK Haugesund and we were champions of second division. I was a second uh, leading goal scorer of the team. I played 22 of 25 matches and I was 11 times man of the match. 50% of the games, I was man of the match. Wow. At the end of the season, they shook my hand and said, thank you very much for your services. And that was it? And that was it. So they, got prom they went promoted to first division and then had parted ways with you after that? What so was their reasoning, do you know? They said to me that they were just looking for another player, another style of player. Football is cruel, man. It's very cruel, but it taught me a lot of great lessons. Yeah, of course. So in one year, I made champion of second division in Portugal, up to first division, get put on loan, on loan for six months, get my contract broken because they said I didn't do the right things. In two days, I signed a contract with uh, FK Hogesen in Norway, second division, uh, after eight months, we win uh, the second division, yes. and go up to the first division, and then I get my I get I get told thank you very much, uh, have a, have a nice life. So in one in a half years, I couldn't believe what happened. It was just unbelievable. So how can you be prepared for that situation? No mentally way. and physically. How how do you? There is none. You can't really, can you? You need proper guidance and you need proper. Support. Support system is important too, right? I had no support system, so that's why that went in a tornado. But yeah. now I'm here to help that kid from not being in that situation and that parent say, hey, watch out, this will happen, hey, watch out. Yeah. And I have a lot of parents that say thank you because I'm giving them a lot of my advice, not just the training, but the advice part, the mental part, 
so that you know Diago signs five years in Sporting. Why? Because I've already figured it out, mm-hmm. and I said, don't do this, don't do that. This is where you say yes, and this is where you go, and watch out for that. Yeah, and it worked. That's it, man. Someone has to kind of go through certain things, live it to help the next generation. But with football, as we know too, like it's not just any type of job, any type of career. For most people playing, this is their dream, right? They've dreamt this since they were young. So to go through those experiences that is not just in any job, you don't get fired, which is devastating, of course, but to get fired from your dream and saying, no, you're not gonna be able to do this can be devastating, right? To someone's mental capability and what they're thinking, so. It's, it can be, it can be the end of somebody. Yeah. They can, I, I know many players, friends of mine, ex-colleagues of mine, that have had some bad situation and they quit and they turn to alcohol or they turn to drugs and they turn to bad things and stop soccer and sometimes they have died uh, because... Not taking care of themselves. Or no support. You know, yeah. No support, not understanding the, the, that don't, don't worry, tomorrow will be better. Like I played in five countries. There wasn't a plan to play in five countries. Mm-hmm. There wasn't. I, I didn't. I wasn't. There wasn't all success in those five countries. Right. There was so much. There was more failure than there was success. Yeah. Way more failure. Way more struggle. Way more sacrificing. Then there was no easy time ever, ever, ever. Because first of all, you're competing against men all the time. You're a foreigner. You're coming into their house. You're trying to take their spot. This is something that you have to have something inside of you to be able to stand up to them and say mm. I'm here and I don't care if this is your house it's going to be mine yeah that's something you can't teach either that has to come from the person inside and so uh, and that's why I asked you too about the confidence and kind of fire that you have because you do have that I think if someone were to come to you uh, Kevin I know as a player in person is gonna stand up for themselves but you know, that's why I asked, is it something you learned or something you just had? But some things you can't teach. It's both. A bit of both. It's right? both. Like, you don't know what's inside of you until you meet that person to bring that out of you. Mm-hmm. So, how, how, how did I know that I could survive out there? First, my dad would just tell me very, you know, you always, when you're growing up, you listen to your parents, right? That's the person you know and you trust. And when, they, when he says to you, don't worry, you just stand there and you're going to be fine. You're going to, you believe that. Yeah. And so when that time comes, and that hard time comes, the voice that said, don't worry, you're gonna be fine, is there. Mm -hmm. And then you fight. And then after the fight, you see the result. And if the result is good, confidence. If the result is bad, you create some type of weakness, which then can can be turned into confidence because the failure has to be turned into confidence. But when you fight and you win, you create confidence. When you fight and you fail, you have to learn. Yes. Just like anything. I missed the net 10 times. Why? Oh, you know, uh, no, no, wrong uh, wrong attitude. Why? My foot wasn't placed right. Perfect attitude. Mm -hmm. This is the, I'm giving a little bit of coaching there, but that's the way that we do things. It's, we don't let the kid get frustrated there's no time for frustration because your expectation is wrong yeah because you want it so bad okay you want it so bad so what do you do you look at you analyze and what happened okay I need to fix that okay perfect now train again boom 
analyze and then repetition, right? That's the benefit of me being in the pros is after every game, coach would sit us down, we'd be in a room like this, and the video would be gone, say, the game, boom, Kevin, look at what you did there. And I'm like, oh my God. Don't want to see it. Don't want to see it, but it is. It's the truth. I need to see that. Mm -hmm. I need to see where I failed. And that's what being a professional is, is capitalizing on your failures. How do you capitalize on your failures? You need to take it in the eyes, you need to take it in your heart, and you need to be called out every single moment. And nowadays when you train kids, they don't want to be called out because they got the messy shoes and they got number 10 messy jersey on. But you can't even kick a ball properly because your parents telling you you're great. You know, in a game, you watch a game, the kid shoots the ball, boom, 10 feet over the net. The mom's yelling, great shot, nice job. Yeah, don't worry, good job. Good job, your kid just missed the net by 20 feet. Sure, he feels good then, but then what happens when he's in a situation where no one's saying good job? In fact, he's getting the opposite. I, I, I don't level. know. I don't know because my dad wasn't like that. When I missed the net, he never said good job. He asked me, what are you doing? <laughs> mm-hmm. Why did you miss the net from there? He would ask me and make me think about what am I doing? Yeah. Now it's too much like, oh, don't worry. Next time you'll be okay. Next time? Next time he's going to miss again. Mm-hmm. And, oh, it's okay. and again, and again, and again, and again. <laughs> But that's, that's nor here nor there, that's something else. That's more about, uh, that. that's another program that we're creating is for the parents to understand how to act Yes. with athletes. You have a kid athlete, don't give him the, only if he did something very good. Yeah. If he did something bad, don't clap for him. Ask Make him think. Mm-hmm. What did you do? It's very important. H- how are we going to get, not just in soccer, but in life. How are we going to become successful? You have to analyze your mistakes, right? And then work on them and repeat until you do them right. That's right, until it becomes second nature. Mm-hmm. I'm doing what I do now for, it's been 14 years. Everything is second nature now. I don't even have to think. Yeah. Be- before coming here, my wife goes, did you read the, the, the paper on that? Like, what, what you're gonna do, what the topics are? I'm like. Yeah, I skimmed through a little. He goes, aren't you nervous? I'm like, nervous about what? <laughs> I'm talking about my life. Yeah. I'm talking about true. This is, this is not a script. This comes from here. That's it. comes from here and here and boom. What are you asking me? Yeah, blah, 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 blah. I'm not lying. This is not fake. This is real. Yeah. And I don't do any scripts. I never did. No, no need. This is a conversation. And when it comes to football and experiences, you know, it's better spoken from here. Only. Right? From the heart. So. Only. Look, man, Kevin. Amazing conversation today. You provided so much value. There's a lot of gems in there. Thank you. Um, I don't use this word lightly, but for us, for my community, from where I come from, a legend. Um, like I said, I only got the chance to play on the pitch with you, not officially, but played on the same pitch a few times. And you have something technically um, inside of you as well that you don't see often. And, you know, for me, I hope I affected someone or even someone from the younger generation, the way you had affected me, because coming up, I didn't see many players, like I said, from our community go on to play places. So I observed who did, what were they doing? And I watched these things, and I like to think it helped me. So for me, legend of the game, thanks again for coming on, and man, a lot of, a lot of good, good information you provided today. Well, uh, you almost made me cry, by the way, with your beautiful words, and I appreciate everything that you, you've said about me, and. The opportunity that you've provided for me to be able to speak and to hopefully uh, help uh, young ballers and 
Uh, that's exactly what you're doing with this program. It is something that is needed, absolutely. Uh, people need to know about your uh, career and what you've done and what you're providing. Um, and if they can learn something from me, you know, awesome. But um, I appreciate uh, your words. I appreciate your program. I hope everything goes in the best way possible. Uh, you count on me for anything that you need. If you want me to come back and speak about something else again, no problem. I'm sure um, we will have you on again, definitely. And uh, be, be proud. You're doing something uh, positive for the community and for the soccer world. And um, nothing. We're, bro we're brothers. Keep it up. That's it. Much appreciated. Guys, Unlocked. That was Mr. Jenga. Zach Al-Sayden. We'll see you next time.